Well, good morning to you. If I have not had the pleasure to personally meet you, my name is Brian Fannin. I do serve Grace Fellowship as the Florence Campus Pastor. And if you're new to Grace, you can expect this. On a Sunday morning, typically, our messages will be about 50 minutes in length. If that seems like long to you, I've got great news for you this morning. Because I'm going to spend about the next 30 minutes, maybe 35 minutes with you. Because I intend to release you from this room to do an important thing. To explore how you might connect to ministry that you may never have dreamed that you should be a part of. Here at Grace Fellowship on a serve team with other people. Now, before we get into the meat of the matter... I must talk about guilt trips, okay? Nobody comes to church to be put on a guilt trip. I hope not. If you think that that's what you should do, you should sign up for counseling, all right? We are not after a guilt trip. I am not after a guilt trip. I may fail in conveying that well to you today, but guilt is not what we're after. My intention for you is for you to see what God has for your life to see opportunity to thrive in ways that might be brand new to you because failing to thrive is common among Christians. It's actually common in a counterintuitive way. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You might be an individual that you embrace the gospel. You're thankful for your salvation. You actually desire to grow in knowledge, but something happens In all of that beautiful knowledge, you stop short. And I believe churches, I believe that we even, Grace Fellowship, we may not have done a good job of exposing you to the more. How you were made to flourish. So I want you to hear right up front, I'm not here with a whip. I am not intending to be a bull in a china shop. Although I'm a small bull, all right. Not as small as I'd like to be, but... Nonetheless, not that. What I want you to do is I want you to see what God intended for you and for you to embrace the better, living life for the better. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at 17 verses. It's always good for God's people to be together, to hear God's word. I've printed in the bulletin or your Bible from the ESV, picking up in verse 1. Colossians 3. Paul writes, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Look here for a second. You may read that and go, oh, he wants us to be heavenly minded. The answer to that is what? Yes. Oh, wow, that's weak. Yes. Yes. Problem with it is we think heavenly mindedness has nothing to do with earthly execution. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things you too once walked 
when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. All right. Praise be to God for His Word. There's a lot going on here. Lots of things being said. But here is what you might not pick up on immediately. Paul wrote a letter to a local church in Colossia. Here's the issue with that. That church is dealing with false teaching. And it's happening, it's influencing their lives in their societal class, within their interpersonal relationships, and yes, in their church. And when you look at Colossians, Paul is urging them to continue in true faith and not to be influenced by the lies that were all around them, including subtle ones, hear me, subtle ones that we tend to still believe. And Paul takes that on in chapter 3. What we are to do, what we are to think, how we are to live out of it. So let's look. Paul instructs us, I believe, by exposing two principles. In order, in order that, your life can begin embracing a flourishing existence. How do you flourish? By embracing these two principles. Principle number one. You are bound to Christ. Faith in Christ changes your spiritual position. It changes your eternal destiny. Because you are spiritually new, you should pursue that which reflects who you actually are. Specifically, the abiding presence of Christ lives in you, and that should change how you live outwardly. What is happening around you is but momentary. Eternity will be forever But that's not how we usually live. In fact, the momentary in your life actually screams as the most urgent in your life. Let me give you an example. Your email, your notifications on your phone, they scream constantly, pop, pop, pop. Attention, attention, attention. Right now, right now, right now, right now. Look at it right now. While quietly, the most important things, the most ultimate things, 
They're in the shadows. No one's going to yell at you if you don't pray today. No one's going to yell at you if you don't read your Bible. And if that's happening in your household, maybe you should sign up for counseling as well, all right? Don't do that. Understand, some of the most important things in our life, they're not going to scream for your attention. And let me talk personally to parents. Your kids have little power to see and understand. They watch what you're doing, not just what you're saying. And so when they see you addicted to things that actually are trivial, or you prioritize the trivial over Christ in in your life, they get the message. We all get the message. We just may not be seeing it. See, objective truth matters. Who you are in Christ should influence. Remember, we are sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible says that you were spiritually dead. Yes, you and I were dead men and women walking. You act out of that framework. And when Christ comes into your life, changes it. When Christ is not reigning in your life, what you and I do is we substitute ourselves for God. That is at the heart of humanity. We substitute ourselves for God. But God, being rich in mercy, awakened your dead soul, and he made you alive. He opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel. He came, let you understand that you are a sinner, and you need rescue You and I were objects of wrath, but God in his mercy made us spiritually brand new. And he gives you eyes to see not only the truth of the gospel, but the beauty of Jesus and his gospel. Christ substituting himself for you, and he gives you new life. And that new life, do not forget, is not in your future. It is right now. You are in possession of new life right now. You are an abiding object of grace. By grace you have been saved. Yes, through faith. It is a gift. It's apart from works. This is who we are. And the reality is, is this gospel and our Jesus, he's more precious than anything else in life. And our lives should get framed out of that. Do not ever make the mistake of diminishing the importance of your identity in Jesus. That you are bound to him. Because when you do, you will attach your identity to anything. Your gender, your race, your job, your looks, your income, your title, what you're called, your relationship status. Because how we think actually impacts how we live. It impacts our goals and how we measure satisfaction. And for Christians, you're bound to Christ. You are forgiven. God loves you. He will bless you. He will guide you and praise God. Our God keeps us. And when you die, you're going to go to heaven. These are comforting realities. But the problem is we become so comfortable with it, we think that our spiritual life is all buttoned up. So there is a problem with all of this truth. The problem is, 
that truth in a vacuum. You are bound to Christ. You are in Christ. You belong to him. All that he has done for you, when that becomes your entire focus, it falls short in you understanding that you have been given a commission, and that commission is that you are to live toward other people. In other words, God calls us to become in our living, in our experience, what you are by God's grace. That's what God has called you to be. You are to become, out of what you are, how you live. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that when you become so comfortable and embracing incomplete truth that you're bound to Christ, you might live immaturely. And when you live immaturely, you fail to thrive. So let's, let's just let's back up just a second. If identity in Christ is essential and you're standing in grace, you may be looking here and saying, what's the problem? What's the challenge? Churches like ours, even our church, lots of churches, we can be tempted to equate maturity with knowledge and personal piety in what we don't do. That's what, you look in this passage, Paul addresses a bunch of things. Don't be doing this, don't be doing that. And he gives you a list. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't vote for the wrong candidate. All right, that's what we tend to, tend to think. We start with a list. And we end up believing that living the Christian life and being an example of Christ is how we conduct ourselves personally, and yes, in our neighborhoods, and certainly it should translate to our workplace. The problem is that there's just enough truth. Listen, there is just enough truth to make it wholly believable. That that is what the Christian life is. Getting your brain right and just sitting down, hunkering down. But that falls short. The problem is there's enough truth to make it believable, believable and personal growth becomes down, comes down to this. Whether you intend to be like this or not, we're all tempted to live like this. We live like consumers. So we go shopping for the best experience at church, including good doctrine, sound preaching, good music, great programs. See, all of these things, listen to me, all of these things are good but they fall short of scriptural imperative. Living that way becomes subtly, just hear me, consider, living that way becomes subtly about you. If not mostly. And when it becomes about you, you fail to thrive. But to flourish, there's more. And I believe Paul addresses it here. How does it happen? Paul goes on to say in this passage that not only you're bound to Christ, but he says a second thing, and I want you to see it. You are bound to one another. When you look at Colossians chapter 3, Paul does not end his instruction and say, all right, here you are, this is where you stand, go in peace. That's not what he does. He turns attention to the things that can become idolatrous in our life, including sex, all the things that we want, 
all the desires that are not necessarily ungodly, but in this the case that he's pointing to, they are ungodly and how they're uh, spilling out in their lives, including all that goes with it, the attitude. Look at verse 8 and following. He talks about anger and wrath. All the things, don't get what we want, we get mad. So he is addressing that head on. So he gives us a list. Let me tell you, I'm a list guy. For years and years, I make a list daily of three things that I want to, must get done and a whole bunch of other things, and I love checking it off and going through my list. Love it. I like lists. Paul gives us a list. Problem with lists. We think the list is the whole shebang. It's not the whole shebang. His list is a starting point. There's other ways that it, sin shows up in our lives. The problem with our list is we start thinking about them as things to avoid. Again, we boil maturity down to what to avoid instead of, instead of what we are to embrace. See, to flourish demands embracing, putting on new life. That is life connected, life bound to others. And most specifically in the local church, that includes ministering and serving. Verses 12 and following of chapter 3. I'll look at it again with you. Look at verse 12. Put on then. He says, this is the things that we are to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So let me stop there just for a second. We look at those, we see them as character qualities and inward demeanor. That is not what he is saying. That's not what he's saying. Yes, there is a demeanor. But notice this, all of these things are in relation to how you live toward other people. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all these things, put on love. Now, look at, your, look at the text there. Almost every translation has put on love. Now, if you have the New American Standard, you're going to see that it has that in italics. You know why it's in italics? Because it's not in the original text. It should read this. Above all these things, love. Do you know why? Because he's talking about love as a verb, not as a noun. Not as a feeling, but as action. Action. Agape love serves. Agape love gives. Agape love, which he's talking about here, is that love, that ultimate love word, which means to give sacrificially to others without thinking what is returned. So we are to love, and here it is, it binds together everything in perfect harmony. I meet people I have my whole life. I've been one of those people that have said, I love my church. And they've said to me, I love my church here and other places. And I'm grateful to hear this, but I want to ask a question that you need to be asking yourself. Is that actually 
true. I believe that any of us can have the feeling of love. But let's consider for a moment what our actions say about love. What it really looks like in our life. What does your action say about what you actually love? Are you willing to give of yourself for the good of others? Now, I hear some of you already, it's going in your mind like, you know, Brian, I, I know you want us to serve. I know you want us to engage. I'm just not very gifted. And I, I remember even in this room several years ago, I had the opportunity to pose some questions to the room. So I'm going to ask those same questions again. How many in the room, not asking you to raise your hand, but you can make your check mark. How many of you in the room were valedictorian or salutatorian of their class? All right? Probably not many, but a few. How many of you were voted most likely to succeed? How many of you were prom king or queen? How many of you, and there's some of you in this room, we've got some athletes in the room, when there's pickups on the playground, you were always first to be picked. All right? So I'll tell you the same thing I told them. If any of those things are true of you, congratulations, God wants to use you too. All right? But the most of, most of us, the reality is we're weak. And we see ourselves as unable. We don't understand that our equipping is from God. Our strength to serve is out of that. You remember last week, as I closed the book of Esther, I called attention to how Mordecai conducted himself, how he was remembered. He sought the welfare of his people. He spoke peace to all of his people. Mordecai was remembered at the end by living as a man with a mission. A man with a mission to do good for people. Existence for the betterment of others. What that looks like in a church like Grace Fellowship is something that we've put forth as a big rock. It is serving. It is ministry. I wish we would have titled it Big Rock of Ministry because when you serve, you are ministering. Our church family, I know that there's some of you in the room, you hear this message and it's true. You're sitting there, you're going, I don't have time. And I'm telling you, I know, I know some of you well. You are stretched. I mean, you're, you're, you're really stretched. It's, it's, it is a phase or a chapter of your life right now, whether it be parenting, whether it be parenting anew, um, your, your parents that are aging, It's caring in ways, doing things, your job schedule, your travel schedule. I get it. Your life is busy. Some of it is a season that you're in. Some of it, let's be honest, some of it is choices that you make. Second type of person is the individual I've already talked about. I don't don't have any gifting. I'm not really gifted. You see a church this large and you think we have lots of gifted people, you really don't have much to give. Do you know that 1 Peter chapter 4 says that you have been given gifts, all of you, and they are given 
for serving. Go read it. To think that you have no gifting as a Christian is a lie. You are believing a lie. You need to look at yourself and say, I believe lies, if you think that way. There's a third category. There might be a fourth or fifth, but here's, here's the third one. The third one is the honest one. And it goes like this. I don't want to. All right? I get it. And I say, when you say, I don't want to, I think like, all right, we're getting somewhere now. All right? We're getting somewhere. Because not enough time and gifting are subtle lies we tell ourselves. Not wanting to, that's honest. And it's understandable. We think we've paid our dues. And the reality is we prefer ease and no responsibility. Again, remember, moving toward consumerism. So I'll pose a question to you. What do you think actually dismantles churches? It's the same thing that dismantles marriages. Marriages and churches dismantled one thing. It's not the only thing, but it is a big thing. You know what it is? It's neglect. It's neglect. Individual neglecting what God intends. Do you know what that is for your life? To flourish, He intends for you to flourish. You know how that happens? It happens by you not self, it's not It's it's not self-glory, it is giving of yourself, serving others. Yes, we believe subtle lies all the time about time and gifting. And we believe that we can live as consumers. Priorities and clear ministry mission can get distorted, distorted in any of our lives. And I think the last two years, especially since the advent of COVID, we have become like all right, I'm going to ease back in there. And I am telling you as your pastor, it's time to engage. It's time to engage. You were made for more. You were made to flourish. You're made to serve. Christ served you. You were made to serve. And you may think like, all right, I, I don't know, Brian, I am. I'm, I'm strapped on time. Let me tell you about, a little bit about time for all of us. Since the advent of the smartphone, the average American today spends more than two hours every day on social media. Now, before you congratulate yourself too much, I want you to know that that, is, that, that may not be you, but it is, uh, with that is also TV, which is a separate category. Smartphones and TV. In less than 20 years, these incredible little devices have gone from a tool to being a life-dominating piece of our existence. We waste a lot of time staring at screens. Instead of really connecting with people. Instead of partnering with people. And what was seen as a tool for bringing people together in social media, frankly, has only in its fruit shown that we're divided farther and farther apart. No real connections occurring. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the use of your smartphone or 
your computer for social purposes, social media, it, is, it ranks in our daily use of time only behind sleep, hours we're supposed to be working, and TV watching. Media critic and social commentary, Neil Postman wrote in his book more than 20 years ago, title of his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Frankly, we simply have given ourselves over to, we want more leisure, we want more amusement. It's what we want. And when you reduce your world to that, what's in it for you, what entertains and amuses you, what you don't really recognize is you inadvertently cut off yourself from flourishing as a Christian. I'm not saying the phones are bad. I'm not saying TV has no place. I'm saying when you say you have no time, you probably ought to have a study of how you use your time. See, the I don't want to is hard to admit. It's the reality of our flesh. Christ has served us. He laid his life down for us. We've been bought. We are not under condemnation. We are free from the penalty of sin. Praise God. Amen. But wait, is that it? Is that all? No. Paul's saying you're bound to others. In fact, he said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Do you know what that means? That means that when you trust Christ, he frees you from law. He frees you from rule-keeping for right standing. You're freed. You're freed. So whether you are serving or not, you need to know this. You are dearly loved. You're bought with a price. But notice what he says. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Yeah, we're bound to Christ. He gives to us freedom with joy. There are immense measures of joy and grace that await us But that experience to that freedom is linked to not allowing your flesh. Do not allow the I don't care in you or I don't have time or I don't want to. Break it. Love serves one another. And it does things that's contrary to that flesh in you that just simply says, I don't want to do that. So if you've lived in northern Kentucky for any length of time, we have a bridge called Big Mac Bridge. crosses from Newport over into Cincinnati. A couple years ago, Amy and I were getting on at, at Newport to go north on 71. If you've ever been on that ramp, you know it has a long stretch. It makes a hard curve, and you ride onto the interstate. Well, it's one of those days, lots of traffic. I'm in line On that ramp, just easing along, bumper to bumper, just easing along. I get up to the place where the road turns like this. So I'm about to get on, and I look in my side mirror, and some yahoo is flying up on the shoulder, all right? Because why? He doesn't want to wait. He wants to get in. It's his right. And I wanted to put him into the walls, what I wanted to do, all right? (laughs) That's my flesh. So he turns on the light, and I let him in. And my wife, who's sitting beside me, who is way more spiritual than I am, says, why did you do that? All right? 
And I said to her in that moment, because I didn't want to. I needed to do who I am. I've been bought. I am meant to serve even even the unlovable, even the hard, even the difficult things. Paul Tripp wrote, no one has been chosen to be a recipient of the redemptive work of his, of his kingdom. I'm talking about Jesus. No one has been just chosen to be a recipient of the redemptive work of his kingdom. No, everyone has been chosen to be a recipient has also been commissioned to be an instrument of the work of that kingdom as well. But part of the problem is that we tend to carry around with us an unbiblical definition of ministry that allows us to live comfortably as Christian consumers. I, as your pastor, I want you to flourish. I'm not angry. I'm not fed up. I know that God provides. Do you know, every Sunday at Grace Fellowship Florence, there are more than 100 people who are serving quietly in the shadows that you may not see, but you see them when you go pick up your kids They're serving when you are picking up your coffee, picking up your bulletin, helping you find a seat, in between services, cleaning in this room. They are quiet legacy leavers in the shadows. I want you to be a legacy leaver. I want you to leave a legacy of giving your life away, not your wife, giving your life away for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want, you to, I want you to know that God has every intend, intention in your life for you to know the truth of who you are and it to impact how you live. And that means for the glory and the betterment of others. You're most like Jesus when you serve. You're most like Jesus when you serve. You're most like Jesus when you serve. You are most like Jesus when you serve. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I want you to turn the page. I want you to see a new chapter of your life where you are made to flourish and you are giving yourself away. So as I said... We're going to give you some time. Let's pray, and I'm going to give you some instructions. Lord, no one, no one in this room has served as you have served us. You have given us new life. We were enemies. You laid yourself down for us. We praise you. We thank you. And, oh, God, we pray Now by your mercy and grace, out of who we are as we have trusted Christ, oh Lord, use us. Help us to connect. Help us to serve you. Help us to serve your people. We give glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen.